Our scripture reading um, is what we've been studying the last few weeks. It's the Lord's Prayer. Um, and it's found in Matthew 6, verses 5 through 13. So just like during our liturgy, um, when there are underlined portions, you guys will read those along with me. Matthew 6, 5 through 13. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Hey, peace be with you. Good morning. Really good to see you and welcome to Trinity Community Church, especially if this is your first time. We're really glad that you are here. Uh, today we're wrapping up an 11-week series in the Lord's Prayer. So for the past 10 weeks, we've been looking at simply this short prayer from the life of Jesus. And so that means next week we're starting a new series, and we are going to spend the next series in the book of James. Uh, it's a series called True Religion, Mercy, Justice, and the People of God. And so for nine or 10 weeks at the first half of the fall, we're going to be looking at this incredible book of James. Uh, James is, is big on community. How do we act as a, as a local church? James gives us a, a vision for, for what he calls true religion, which is caring for widows and orphans as they are in need. James gives us a, a vision for mercy and, and social justice towards the poor and the weak and the needy and the marginalized. And James gives us wisdom and uh, uh, the, the words for prayer uh, for a life in Christ and in community. And so James is all about the, the outward life of the believer, whereas the Lord's Prayer has been all about the inward life of the believer. And so I think you'll, you'll see the connection between the Lord's Prayer and James, and we'll see that it's the inward life that, that drives the outward life, and the outward life that, that reveals the inward life, not just for us as Christians, but for all people. The outward reveals the inward, but it's the inward that drives the outward. So we're looking forward to that next week, but first we've come to the end of the Lord's Prayer. And uh, the, the ending of things is always more important than the beginning of things. How you finish in life is more important than how you begin in life. You're far more shaped by your desire for the future than by your relationship to the past. We live in a culture that's obsessed with youth. I'm sure you've picked up on this. We, we love early achievement. We love child prodigies. We love the, the college dropout that starts a tech company. We love those uh, stupid 30 under 30 lists. Those things drive me crazy. You know you just pay to get in those things. That's all you do is you call in and you pay, and that's how you make it into these lists. It's ridiculous. 
We're obsessed with youth culture. We're obsessed with early achievement, but that is not necessarily the way of Christ. What matters is not how we begin, but how we end. There are so many people that start well, especially in matters of the faith, but don't end well. And so the Lord's Prayer doesn't just teach us how to, how to end our prayers, but it teaches us how to live toward the end of our lives. Now, you may notice that we've already finished the, the Lord's Prayer proper. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We looked at that single sentence over the last two weeks, and that is the ending of our Lord's words as they're normally presented in Matthew 6. And yet in some of our translations, there's this added phrase, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so we're going to look at that phrase. I'm going to explain in a moment why it was added to the prayer and why it's worth our consideration. But overall, here's the message today, just two parts. Part one, the Christian life as doxology, the Christian life as praise. And then part two, the Christian life as a school of prayer. So doxology in part one, school of prayer in part two, where we, where we talk through the, some closing application daily activity of prayer. And so part one is lecture. Uh, this is in honor of all you university folks. Part two is lab. If you want to know if you know the lab is an easy A, yes, it is. We just add it on to get more tuition. We can get five credits instead of three. It's an easy A. That's today. School of prayer is second. Now, first, the Christian life as doxology. This closing line forms a, a doxology to the Lord's Prayer. And a doxology is, is typically a song of praise. Sometimes it's, it's simply a statement of praise that, that leads us into song. But a doxology is, is a way to close on a note of praise. We close every service with a doxology here. Now, this prayer, this, this closing phrase, was added into the Lord's Prayer at some time. And we don't have all the details on this. But it's typically understood what scholars believe is that Jesus' final statement in the Lord's Prayer as he taught it in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, that he ended by saying, deliver us from the evil one. And yet probably at some other point in his teaching, he also taught, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So this, this phrase is not in the earliest of the New Testament Greek manuscripts, but it exists in a lot of other New Testament manuscripts, so that suggests that at some point it was added in as, as sort of a response. And so that's often how we've used it on the screen, is to respond to the Lord's Prayer by saying, for yours is the power and the glory and the kingdom forever. Amen. I got those switched around. But it's an incredible response. It's actually the, the only correct response to the Lord's Prayer. To ascribe all, all glory and all honor and all praise to God. And so the Lord's Prayer starts with praise, hallowed be your name, and it ends with praise as well. And so one scholar, J.I. Packer, writes, it's not the phrase, it's not in the best manuscripts, nevertheless, it is the best tradition. And so we're going to look at this phrase for a moment, the kingdom, the power, and the glory. It is this incredible prayer. The, the Lord's Prayer is, is only 53 words in our, in our English Bibles, and yet we've been able to explore it for 10 weeks. And so it's interesting, how do, we, how do we wrap up a series like this? How do you end a prayer like this? We've been saying all along, this is Jesus' pattern for daily, ordinary prayer. And so this phrase, this doxology, helps us to end appropriately on a note of praise. 
And so to say this, that the kingdom, power, and glory belong to God is to declare a total life allegiance to Christ and his kingdom, to submit ourselves completely to God the Father and to Jesus Christ and to the Holy Spirit. It's to lay down our own kingdom. It's to give up our own power. It's to acknowledge no glory of our own. And so it fits with every theme we've already seen in this prayer. The kingdom of God is is God's presence with God's people in God's place. The kingdom is wherever God is king, and we are his royal and happy subjects in the kingdom of light. The power of God is is one of his most certain attributes. He is all-powerful or omnipotent. He is in perfect control of the entire universe, or he is sovereign. He works all things perfectly to to match his desires because he is faithful to all of his promises. And so the kingdom, the power, and then the glory of God. In the Hebrew, the word for it is Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God. The Shekinah glory of God is, is the thick presence of God that was felt in the tabernacle and in the temple in Israel. In the New Testament, we see the Shekinah glory of Jesus revealed in a moment at the transfiguration. For just a moment, the Shekinah glory of Jesus broke through. Every time somebody sees the Shekinah glory of God, men and women fall on their faces. They confess their sin and dust and ashes, and they commit their entire lives to Christ. One simple look at the Shekinah glory of God leads to a lifetime of obedience. And so yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. But not just in this moment, but forever. And amen. This kind of kingdom, this kind of power, this kind of glory, it cannot be overcome. It can't be defeated. And so this is an eternal forever kind of kingdom, a forever kind of power and glory. There will be no end It's the same of his greatness. It's the same of his love. It's always and forever. It's unbreaking. It's unshakable. It's it's the leave the 99 and pursue the one kind of love. One author has written that the doxology makes the Lord's prayer end in praise, just as the Christian life itself will do. Think about this. While petition will cease with this life, the happy task of giving God glory will last for all eternity. I don't know if you've ever thought about that in your, your praying life, but there are prayers of yours that will not last for all eternity. Praying for, for others' needs will no longer last because all of those needs have been met. Praying for your own needs, petition, will not continue because all of your needs will be met in eternal life. Confessing your sins will be no more because you will be free from sin in your own soul. And yet the prayers that will remain are the prayers of praise, of adoration, of worship. All of our praying life, all of our life itself becomes praise in the end. So everything is yes and amen. Now, amen, this this simple word, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard it hundreds, if not thousands of times. And amen simply means so shall it be. Let let it be, Lord. It's a way of closing our prayers in a way that that gives all power and glory to God to say, so shall it be on, on earth as it is in heaven. And what I love is when we can say amen to the prayer of another person. 
When you pray something and you are lifting your soul to the Lord, for for the people around you to say yes and amen to that prayer, it lends their hearts and their power to your own words. And so shout out to our community groups that have been doing this each and every week, gathering at at parks on the back porch and, and talking and enjoying fellowship, but also praying together. When you pray and and eight or or 12 of your closest friends say, amen, there's a power in that. When we do these congregational prayers and and you take the risk to pray out loud and yet everybody, 50 voices say, amen. That's 50 voices saying, yes, Lord, We, we embody, we embrace this prayer as well as if it was our very own. In the Lord's prayer, praise leads to prayer and prayer leads to praise. And so the Lord's Prayer begins with praise. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, which leads us right into prayer, and then that prayer leads us right back to praise. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. Now this theme is echoed in the Psalms as well, and this is one of my favorite things, maybe my favorite thing about the Psalms. I don't know if you've noticed in your Bibles, the Psalms are broken up into five different books. And so Psalms 1 to 41 is, is book one, and then you move to book two, and there's five books within the Psalms. The last Psalm in each of those five books is called a Hallelujah Psalm. It's a short Psalm that is purely praise to God. So each of these little books of Psalms, it, it ends on the note of praise. And the word Hallelujah, it's the old Hebrew word, Hallel, meaning praise. Ooh, meaning the, and then Yah, which is the original name for God, Yahweh. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. So each of these books, the five books, the very last psalm ends with a simple phrase, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Now, when we get to the end of book five, there's not just one hallelujah psalm, but there's five hallelujah psalms. And so 146, 147, 148, 149, and 150, they're all hallelujah psalms. They're all simply psalms of praise. So all of the, all of the lament is gone. All of the confession psalms are behind us. All of the, the psalms asking for help are no more. It's simply psalms of praise. And then Psalm 150 is, is the hallelujah psalm to tie them all together. How else could you end 150 psalms? Here it is. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with dancing. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. I think that means we need a, a drummer with a drum set up here. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And then what do you think the final three words are? One more time. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So if you hear nothing else today, hear this. In the end, everything is turned to praise. Eugene Peterson, who is one of the patron saints of Trinity Community Church, he writes in his incredible book, Answering God, the five hallelujah psalms are a cathedral built entirely of praise. No matter how much we suffer, no matter our doubts, no matter how angry we get, no matter how many times we have asked in desperation or in doubt how long, prayer develops finally into praise. Everything finds its way to the doorstep 
of praise. Praise is, or prayer is always reaching towards praise and will finally arrive there. If we persist in prayer, laugh and cry, doubt and believe, struggle and dance and then struggle again, we will surely end up at Psalm 150 on our feet applauding, amen, amen, praise the Lord. I love it. I love these hallelujah psalms. Everything is turned to praise. Now, part two, we're going to get into the lab, the school of prayer. How do, we, how do we move into, how do we continue a praying life? A couple thoughts to, to sort of wrap up the series and a few things that I just couldn't fit in anywhere else. The first thing is this, know your stage. Know your, your spiritual stage. Just like as, as children, we move through stages of development, so as Christians, we move through various stages of spiritual growth as well. And I have a very fancy chart, if you want to put that up, uh, Jackson. This is uh, our media team put this together this morning. Big thanks to our, our media team. In general, there are five stages of spiritual development. And prayer looks different in each of these five stages. And so I want to take about three minutes, maybe four, to explain all of spiritual development. Uh, we'll see if it works. Stage one is the child. We begin where, where all life begins. We begin as children of God. When we put faith in Christ, we are born again. It's not an insult to be a child as a Christian. It's the first step. It's where we begin. And that's enough for this stage. This is the stage of recognition and belief in spiritual literature. See, the task of the child is simply to pray our Father. Our Father in heaven. And for the child, that's enough. Seek him as Father. Celebrate your new life. Stage two is, is the disciple. We move from childhood into discipleship when we realize how much we have to learn. And so we quickly move into the, the second stage of prayer, of discipleship, and we learn from Jesus and from the Scriptures. And so a disciple is a learner, an apprentice, and an intern in the faith, basically. And so the task of the disciple is to pray, hallowed be your name. It's the stage of discipleship and learning, learning to trust, learning to discover who God is as he's revealed in his word to grow spiritually through prayer and life in community. The third stage is the stage of the servant, or as I like to call it, the savant. Makes it sound cooler. We move from discipleship into service when we begin to take the focus off ourselves as believers. See, all these stages, they build on the ones before. So you don't cease to be a child. You don't cease to be a disciple. But now the dominant mode or the dominant posture is that of a servant. This is the stage of ministry and community where we're not just taking in God, God's word, but we're obeying it, even teaching it. And so the task of the servant is to pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And then to get to work, seeing that happen, being the, the hands and feet of Jesus, as it's often said, bringing the kingdom to bear on this very place. Now, stage four is the, the stage of the parent. We move from servants to spiritual mothers and fathers only through great struggle. If you see on this fancy chart, there is a thicker wall between the servant and the parent. So the young people are thinking, what's that wall? And everybody who's been on earth long enough says, I know that wall. 
I've seen that wall. You, you only move from stage three to stage four. And all, honestly, most Christians don't make it to stage four because there is always a great struggle to advance from the servant to the spiritual parent. And so for those of us in our, our 20s and 30s, we can only know this stage and the stages ahead of this at a distance. Most people hit the wall and don't move forward. They might regress. They might uh, seem to get off altogether. But the only way to move into spiritual parenthood is through suffering, through coming to the end of yourself, through, through the best kind of, of giving up. This is the stage that's called the inward journey. Going deep into your own heart and in prayer, looking into your past and reflection, asking the Lord to, to transform your very desires. The task of the parent is to pray, grant us today our daily bread. For, for the parent, the, the future is not down the line, it's now. And so the parent simply can pray, give us what we need for today. Stage five, some can even move from the parent stage to become a sage. The inward journey has led to a, a depth beyond words, and that begins an outward journey. Uh, almost like a, a new kind of life and a new birth where, where the sage can now give his or her life away. That's the task of this stage. It is giving one's life away completely. I was meeting with a friend of mine. Uh, he's in his early 60s. We were having lunch. A uh, godly man. He's been in ministry for four decades. And I, I don't even know what I said, something about church planting or small children or something like that. And he just kind of laughed and was like, that sounds exhausting. And then he said, I, I can't wait for you to experience your 60s. He said, it's going to be your best decade. That your 60s are your best decade, your 50s and your 70s are great decades. Your 60s will be a delight. This is the task of the sage, to give your life away to others. To pray yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. To give your life away, to let everything be turned to praise in the end. My wife, uh, three, three years ago, her grandmother passed away and and her grandma was, was a woman of God, had served the Lord for decades on decades. And it, in, in her early 90s, she was passing away. And so Jesse went to, to visit and, and to see her just, just before her death. And her grandma didn't have any words of advice. She only wanted to pray for Jesse. She only wanted to, to, to give one last prayer not advice, not what to do, not, not regret, simply to pray for her. And that's the sage. Giving your life away, ending well, letting it all be prayer and praise. And so for each of us, prayer looks different in these different stages of life and different stages of development. You don't have to rush the one you're in. You don't have to try to get through it or get past it. Each of these stages, you only move through them by going over some kind of wall, through some kind of suffering. That's the pathway to maturity. But recognize your stage and what it looks like to pray in that place. Now, the second thing, establish your rhythms. Establish your rhythms. In, in our lives, we, we make a few really big decisions and then we set habits that make a million different decisions for us. Have you ever thought about that? There's a couple really, really big decisions 
And then there are a bunch of little habits that, that set the course for our lives and that fill in all those moments in between. So there's podcasts and books on this right, right now. It's, it's you know, trending. It's really popular to talk about habits, about minimizing the number of decisions you make in a day because then your brain works more efficiently. It's really true. That's why, I don't know if you've noticed, but I only have two kinds of shirts and one kind of jeans, and I just have like five or six of them, so I never have to make a decision what to wear. Just whatever is on top of the pile, it's perfect. I don't know why more people don't do it. What are the rhythms of prayer? What's the one big decision and then the habits that will sustain a life that that leads to the place you want to be, where God wants you to be? How do you set these these rhythms and these habits? Again, it'll look a little different for everybody, but here's a few things I want to encourage you in. First, pray the scriptures. Pray the scriptures. We've tried to to model this over the last 11 weeks with the Lord's Prayer and and including many psalms and different things. But I want to encourage you, it's, it's fairly simple. It's just difficult to keep up with. Read each morning chapter or two of scripture. Take some notes, journal a little bit. Try to turn those scriptures into your own prayers and then pray for what's on your heart. Pray for your needs. And then the next day, do the same thing. Read the scriptures, journal a little bit, pray the scriptures, pray for your own needs. If you do this for for 20 minutes a day for three weeks, you, you will have established a new habit. If you do this 20 minutes a day for a year, as I've said, it'll change your life. And if you do it 20, 30, 60 minutes a day for several years, you'll change the lives of those around you. And so pray the scriptures. Second, pray for others. I don't know if you get stuck and and distracted as much in prayer as I do, but this is one of my tricks to get myself focused again. I, I try not to be too hard on myself when I get distracted or I just, you know, I go on thinking about, NBA playoffs or whatever it is that keeps my mind coming back to. Praying for others helps kind of kind of reset me. So when I get distracted, a, a quick prayer, somebody asks the Lord to bring somebody to mind and pray for that person, maybe another person, and then it seems like I can get back on track with prayer. And so this can be a great part of your, your 20 minutes or whatever it looks like for you. But it can also be in the car, going to work. It can be as you're, as you're walking, as, as you're uh, just your mind is wandering during the day. I'm, I'm trying to spend less time when I get a moment of quiet. Rather than pulling out my phone, I want to say, well, who's just one person I can pray for? And then by the time I'm done, I can move on to the next thing. So pray for others, but also pray with others. You learn to pray not by sermons, not by books, not by prayer manuals, but you learn to pray by praying and by hearing others pray. That's why prayer is so important in our community groups, why we want to see these groups praying together each and every week, because it's what instructs us in prayer. Those who have been doing it a little bit longer can teach those who are a little bit newer in prayer. And those who are newer in the faith can, can show their enthusiasm by their prayers. And so all together we learn to pray. A Friday night prayer is another great outlet for this, and we've got one coming up this Friday night. It's a way to hear the prayers of others, to to have other people pray over your prayers and to say yes and amen for the things that God has put on your heart. But we learn to pray by praying with others. I can't tell you how many people in the last six months to a year have come to one of these Friday night prayers and said, I haven't prayed like that in years, or I have never 
been in a prayer gathering like that. And so pray for others, pray with others, and then pray on retreats. What would it look like for you to get away and get some time, an extended amount of time in prayer? Now you're probably thinking, you have no idea how busy I am. Well, that's actually why I'm saying this. If it's hard for you to get those 20 minutes, if it's hard for you each and every day to find that time for prayer, one of the best things you can do is take half a Saturday once a month or every few months just to get away. Go to a state park, find a, find a place. You don't need like three days in a, a cabin in the woods. Just a little bit of space, a little bit of time devoted to prayer. There's monasteries all over the place. One outside St. Louis, one north of Kansas City, one in the Ozarks. And these are places that have been built over centuries where you can just go and pray. You walk the grounds, you, you enter the chapel. It's an incredible blessing to just take some time away, be in nature, be in a beautiful place and pray. And so the school of prayer, know your stage, establish your rhythms, and then the last thing, remember the gospel. See, it all, it all comes back to where it started. Our Father. Our Father in heaven, we can only hope to pray any of these things if God is indeed our Father. If it really is true that he loved us so much that he sent his own son for us as a, as a sacrifice of atonement, to not only wipe away our sins, if that would be enough to just forgive our sins, but to give us new life to restore us to that which we were created for, which is praise, which is prayer, conversation with God, communion with him. It's what we were made for. And so remember, it's the gospel that makes this whole prayer, our Father, possible. Prayer and praise will be inseparable. You notice that the prayer doesn't start with the kingdom and power and glory of God. Even though it ends there, it starts with the Father on the throne with, with arms are outstretched to you, calling your name, saying, come to me, come to me. My favorite quote from C.S. Lewis, I've got a lot in my file, but my favorite one is from The Weight of Glory, and I resonate with it so much. He says, this is my endlessly recurrent temptation to go down to that sea, St. John of the Cross called God a sea, and there neither dive nor swim nor float, but only dabble and splash. Careful not to get out of my depth and holding on to the lifeline which connects me to my temporary things. And so my prayer for us as a people, as a congregation, is that we might be able to let go of the lifeline to, to the things that are temporary, the, the, the appeal of comfort and ease and power and control and popularity and status, to be able to let go of those things and to dive deep into the presence of God, to go deep in prayer and praise, to do the very thing that we were made to do, to have a relationship with God conversation, communion, fellowship with him, prayer. Let's pray.